This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Now, kids, I'm assuming many of you have opened presents this morning. Is that true? Or you're about to a little bit later, maybe? Or maybe you got to open one last night. Maybe you got to open some presents. Now, you've probably asked your parents, or your parents have told you, uh, why it is that we give presents on Christmas. And we give presents on Christmas because we say that Jesus was the best present that we ever got. Jesus was the best present that we ever got. But i got to be honest, and maybe you're wondering with me, how exactly is Jesus the best present that we ever got? Because I got some pretty awesome stuff this morning, right? You're like, I know Jesus is great, and I know he's good, and I'm supposed to love him. Uh, but sometimes his present doesn't feel as tangible, right? Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And I think sometimes we come up with some answers of how Jesus is the greatest present we could ever receive. And we say things like eternal life, forgiveness for those bad things that we did. He helps us be kinder to people here and now, and he gives us hope in the future. And these are all good answers of the kind of presence that Jesus gives us. But actually, the Bible has one word, one kind of theme that catches all of the ideas of why Jesus is the greatest present. And that one word is adoption. And adoption is when you, a child born in one family moves to another family and grows up in that family with that family name. And there's, there's certain privileges that come with adoption. And so this present that Jesus gives us of adoption actually comes with multiple things inside. It's like a big bag of presents, and then you keep pulling things out, and there's more in there. And today we're going to look at three things that adoption includes. It gives us a new name, a new spirit, and a new inheritance. These are just three of the things that adoption gives us that we're going to study from God's Word this morning from Galatians chapter 4. So I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, which comes from Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4 through 7. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. So I mentioned that we're going to be talking about adoption today. And adoption is when a child who was born in one family becomes part of of another family, and the Bible says, even in this passage in Galatians 4, that we have been adopted. And there's three main benefits of this adoption, to use kind of fancy language, but three, three presents inside of the, the big present of adoption, and that's a new name, a new spirit, and a new inheritance. First is a new name. Verses 4 through 5 describe what we might call the legal adoption process. And most of us know that when a child is adopted, there's actually a legal proceeding that has to happen. The child and the family needs to go before a judge who actually declares that the child is moving from one family to another family. There's a change of name, a change of status, a change of position. And that's what's happening here in verses 4 through 5. There's someone that came, someone, the judge of the universe, someone came before the judge of the universe and said, I want these children to be my own. I want them to have my name. I don't want them to be orphans anymore, but children of the living God. And so this is what 4 through 5 describes. It says that God sent his son at the right time. 
God had planned all of history together to bring Jesus to the point where his redemption would happen at the fullness of what God had planned. Now, you might be asking yourselves, well, we'll, we're past that time. You know, we're 2,000 years past Jesus. How is that possibly the perfect time? But Jesus' first coming, as we've mentioned in Advent, sets the stage for his second coming. The Bible tells us that he's coming back to bring all things together. But at this time is when the legal declaration was made. 2,000 years ago, when Christ became incarnate and lived his life and died on that cross, a legal status change was made for those who rest in Jesus' name. No longer children of Adam and Eve, but children of the living God. God sent his son at the right time. He was qualified to represent us because he wasn't just God, but he was also man. He was born of a woman. And we know that because we know that his name was Jesus. We just read some of those passages this morning. Our adopter passed all the examinations. You know that sometimes adopted families, they have to go through these evaluations where people come into their home and they, they uh, evaluate the home and they have to pass those tests in order to be able to be qualified and um, uh, proven worthy to be able to adopt. And this is what Jesus did when he was born under the law. He had to prove in some sense that he was going to be a good caretaker because Adam wasn't a good caretaker. Jesus is trying to take that position over and redeem us. And because Jesus did all this, it says in verses 4 and 5, he actually accomplished what he set out to do. And it says there in that passage that he set out to redeem us. And as we keep reading that passage, we learn that that word redemption can be a fancy word, but it means adopt us. What Jesus actually set out to do Sent from God at the right time, born of a woman, born under the law. He did all of that so that he might adopt us. And do you know what's amazing about that? We can continue looking back at this action of Jesus and know to whom we belong. Because sometimes it doesn't always feel like we belong in our new adopted family. Sometimes it feels like we belong with our old family. Here's what the Bible has to say that our old family was like. Sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. It was actually a bad family name. Here's what the Bible says. It's full of people who were lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. That's a big problem. This wasn't just our family name. This wasn't just the people that went before us, our grandparents and great-grandparents, we did the same things. Disobeyed our parents, lovers of money, greedy. We represented the family name well. Now, could you imagine wanting to adopt someone that not only came from a bad family name, but that lived it out? Here's what one commentator had to say. Imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child, and as you meet with a social worker in the last stages of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was a child. He persists in participating in dangerous activities. He's cruel to animals. He acts out in inappropriate ways, although they don't fill you in exactly on what that means. But not only that, the social worker goes on. Let me tell you a little bit about the family history. The boy's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence, ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Each one was cruel not only to others, but themselves. Now think for a minute. Would that cause you pause in the adoption process? Would you wonder a little bit? And if you did go through, would you then have questions every time this child was playing with another child? Every time you saw anger spurred up in a 12-year-old as they do? 
This commentator then says, that's you and that's me. People who come from a bad family name and don't just come from a bad family name, but actually live it out ourselves. We are those very people. And yet what God says is, I want them. The first gift of adoption is that God took us with a bad family name, with terrible sins and practices, and he sent his son, born at the right time, born of a woman, born under the law, to give us a new family name. And when we doubt and when we question whether or not we're really part of that family, all we need to do is look back at what it cost Jesus to redeem us because it cost him his very life. What we deserved in the punishment of our own sin was death itself. And Jesus said, I'm dying in their place. I'm taking the wrath of God. Let them take my name. And what name do you think that Jesus had? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my child who obeys me in every respect. This is the son of God. And what Jesus says is, I take your name and now you take mine. But that legal declaration, change of name, doesn't quite feel like enough. We might see the last name change, you know, in our signature, but we still have these internal doubts about whether or not we'll live into the family spirit. That brings us to our second point. We get a new spirit when we're adopted. You know, all families have their own traditions and practices, and I have this friend who every year gets together with her, like, grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, and they all get together at a lake, and they they celebrate being one family unit, and they tell themselves the story over and over again, generation after generation, about what their family is like, and it kind of cultivates this ongoing spirit of their family, right? This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what we do. What about this new family we've been adopted into? What kind of spirit does it have? Well, it has a spirit that causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. Our second gift of adoption is that the spirit causes us to cry out to our good father. Look in verse 6. Because we are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, all of us have fathers, and some fathers are kind, loving, and present. Some of our fathers were not so kind not so loving and not so present. Whether or not our fathers were really good or bad in this life, not one of them was perfect. None of them are there for us every time we need them because none of them are God. And actually, there's this fascinating thing as you grow older, and maybe some of the adults have experienced this, uh, you realize how much you depend upon your father and that as you grow older, you see how much they depend on their father or have depended upon their father. <laughs> And you realize that this is kind of a never-ending cycle of dependence. We all need somebody who is fully independent that we can all depend on. Even Jesus needed this father, a father who was fully self-sufficient. This crying out of desperation that it talks about in our verse is, is one of desperation with nowhere else to go. Abba, Father is an intimate phrase, and maybe you've heard some people say that it could be like translated like daddy, and it, it could probably in English, but that, that Abba, Father word, when Jesus uses it, context is very important. Because when Jesus cries out, Abba, Father, he's on the cross. When Jesus cries out, Abba, Father, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. That daddy phrase is that one where there is nowhere else to go. Your last resort. You need utmost dependence upon him alone. Jesus had the spirit of a son that could cry out to his father without any doubt. 
Now, you might say, and this is what I wonder sometimes too, you know, Jesus was perfect. Of course, he could cry out to his father, and his father always listened. He was a perfect son. But how am I supposed to cry out to God? I'm not perfect. I've actually made him promises over and over and over again to be better, to stop sinning this particular sin, and I keep on doing it. And I know that myself as a father, when, when my children continue disobeying me in the same ways over and over and over again, it creates some sort of distance, right? There's a, there's a tenseness, an explosiveness that's about to happen. And so we wonder when we cry out of a father whether or not our father will actually be there. Maybe you guys remember the story of the prodigal son in the Bible. The prodigal son did not have the spirit of the son that would cause him to cry out, Abba, Father. Right? He took his father's money, he went off into a far-off place, and he squandered it, right? And then in his, um, in his shame and dependence, he realized if he went back to his father's house as a slave, as a servant in his father's house, it would be better. And so he walks back, not with the spirit of a son, but with the spirit of a slave, of a servant. And he says, if I go back to my father's house, he'll receive me there. But as he approaches, what does his father do? His father will not allow him to think of himself as anything less than a son. He runs up, kisses him, throws on the family robe, the family ring, and throws a feast. This is the spirit that God sends us in Christ Jesus. We don't always feel like it. We look back at our sins and we wonder whether or not God's going to hear us. But we look back and not only our new family name, our first point, what Jesus did to bring us from one family to another and to wipe us clean, but we also depend upon that spirit to cause us to cry out in those times where we doubt God's goodness. Abba, Father, He is there. The second part of the gift of adoption is the spirit that cries, Abba, Father. Now, the first part of our gift was a legal name change. The second part was a spirit that helps us cry out, Abba, Father. The third part is a new inheritance. Now, again, kids, you just got Christmas presents. And, you know, uh, if you've got younger siblings, like, like really little, you'll find that when they get their, their like, own toy, right, and you try to borrow it or look at it, you get this, mine, right? Now, it's amazing. It's one of the first things we learn, mine. It's like it's just, it's like it's got to be mine. And hear me, kids, really well. Um, it is good to share your toys, uh, and it's good to not live uh, in jealousy of, of the things that you've been given, but to, but to share freely. And yet, it's not wrong for you to want something for yourself, to grow, cultivate, and nourish it. Not for yourself, though, but for the benefit of others. This is how the Bible speaks about an inheritance. Something so good that's not just for our own benefit and consumption like the prodigal son, right? But something that would be reinvested in the family workplace so that it would grow and impact the world even greater. In Jesus Christ, we have a new inheritance. Look at verse 7. You're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, there's this fascinating phenomenon that happened in Paul's day with very wealthy people. And what happened with very wealthy people is often when they had children, um, they would either go away on business or be traveling um, and leave their children under a custodian, or they would send their children away to, to live under a custodian, under a caretaker. Oftentimes, this was um, a servant or a slave in their own household. Um, now, slavery was a little bit different in the first century uh, than the slavery that we think about in, in our American history. Uh, it wasn't American chattel slavery, but it was, it was still slavery. But they could, they could um, experience some positions of power and authority. Uh, and, and even by their freedom. So these slaves sometimes would be in charge of these children. Now, no one ever doubted whether or not these children were going to come into their full inheritance. But for a time, these children had to live under the custodian 
live by their rules, live cleaning the house, live making food, live day-to-day tasks, learn to read and write. They couldn't just have everything done for them despite their extravagant wealth. And in some, it seems that in some cases in Greek uh, in Roman society, children wouldn't come into their full inheritance until they were 25 years old. 25. They, they, they realized that that, that frontal, uh, what do they call that, the front, frontal cortex, right, really needed time to develop. And they were like, no, nah, 25 is the right answer. 18 is a little too soon. Bump that back to 25. For 25 years, they would grow up under this custodian. Now, Paul's whole point in the book of Galatians is that we had grown up with a custodian of the law. And I'm not going to go down that whole path right now, but what he's going to say is we have received, we are promised an inheritance that is guaranteed by someone else. (laughs) Promised an inheritance. Can you imagine being an heir to one of the greatest fortunes of the world and then having to live for a time like a commoner, doing regular things day to day? Now, I'm sure some of these children were spoiled and kind of sour about it. I want my inheritance now. But for those kids who truly understood that nothing could take away that inheritance, they would endure any suffering for the joy set before them. Now, the story of Scripture is actually that we don't endure that suffering, but that Jesus does it for us. The Bible says that Jesus endured everything set before him for the joy that was set before him. And he secured an inheritance. And when he legally purchased our name change and brought us over from one family to another and gave us a new spirit, what we, what we see throughout Scripture is that we are co-heirs with Christ. That Christ is enjoying the benefits. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. He's already received his inheritance. And we are waiting upon him to bring the fullness of the inheritance to us. Do you know what this inheritance is? Resurrected bodies, life everlasting, positions of dignity, authority, and honor in the new heavens and the new earth, to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is something that we can call our own. Jesus says that when he left us, when he ascended into heaven, after he resurrected from the dead, he told, he told his disciples that he was going to leave them for a time and then he was going to come back. And he said that during that time he was, he was gone, he was going to be making a place for us. And that means not just a place for us to consume, but actually an inheritance for us to participate in, an inheritance for us to live into. And we experience little foretastes of that now. We get little samples of Holy Spirit gifts here. Now, if you've been around us for a while, we talk about this, that we get to use and see glimpses of the resurrected kingdom. But when the new heavens and the new earth are reunited, when the king comes to establish his kingdom in fullness, he has a place for you that's yours, that you can call mine. Not mine in absence of Jesus. Mine because of Jesus. Mine to use for the fullness and glory of his kingdom. You're a true child. Adoption is the greatest gift that we have received in Christ Jesus. Adoption has given us not only a new name and a new spirit, but also a new inheritance. Now, I said that the benefits of adoption were only three, that there was three presents in there, but there's actually probably like a hundred. If we studied the whole Bible, we could keep digging out things that were attached to adoption. Uh, But this passage had three major things that I wanted to pick on. But there's one more thing that we're going to study today, and that's actually that we get to sit at the family meal. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen Encanto, and I've used this example before, but if you've seen Encanto, 
you know that Bruno has his place at the table behind a wall. He wants to sit at the family table. He doesn't just quite feel like he's been adopted in, right? I mean, he was born in, but he was kind of shunned out, right? Your place at this table is not behind a wall. Your place at this table was purchased by Christ. And with a new name and a new spirit and a new inheritance, this table declares to you that Jesus Christ was sufficient in his body and his blood to do that which he promised in his word and is for us to taste and see that he is good. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and having blessed it, he broke it. And he turned and he gave it to his disciples as I am ministering in his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said to them, take this bread and eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the remission of the sins of many. Take and drink. This meal is instituted by Christ Jesus himself as a family table to say, you are welcome here by what I have purchased. Now, that is to say that he has indeed purchased it. And the way into the family, t- family meal is open and available to all because Christ's blood is sufficient. And yet, you have to pass through his body and his blood. And so who is this table for? Who may participate this morning? It is for those who have been united to Christ's body and his blood in baptism and who are members in good standing at a church. They're not at war with their brothers and sisters. So if you have not been baptized into a church, we'd ask you not to partake of this meal. If you've got some conflict that you need to resolve with a brother or sister in Christ before you come and partake of this meal again, we do this every week here at this church. And I know we've got a lot of visitors this morning here on Christmas Day, um, but we would love to have you back another time. If you've got questions about that, I would love to answer them uh, after the service or any of our staff members that are on the back of the bulletin would love to talk with you about it as well. In a moment, I'll pray, and then we can come down the center aisle, and we can go to these two serving stations on my right and my left. Um, I believe gluten-free is on that side. If you require that, you're going to want to go that way. Uh, And then there's red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience. Please dispose of the little cups. There's some waste baskets right here in the center aisles next to these baskets, uh, and then in the back over there. If you would, please pray with me. The Spirit of the Son that has been sent into our hearts by the Father, allow us to see our place at the table. Allow us to not only see our place at the table, but to taste Christ's body and his blood upon our lips. To know that in love he came at the right time, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem and adopt us with a bad family name and to bring us as children of the living God to the family table. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.